So Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, as you're turning there, I love to see what happens. I love to see what happens um, in a person's life when they, when they get grace. Or maybe another way to put that, when grace gets them, grabs them. And it's not the kind of the intellectual type of understanding of grace where people understand, yes, God's grace is good, but it's, it's the kind of grabbing them where it is in their guts. They, they know it, they feel it, it is, it is deep with, within them. They understand, they've come into contact almost visibly, it seems like, or tangibly in their spirits where they understand God's forgiveness and his love which has been lavished upon him, his mercy which has fallen upon them, despite them. To be around people when, when they, they get grace in their, their gut is, is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's encouraging, it's exciting to see um, the growth that comes when people really grasp grace. Very much so is, is the same kind of process that I think that we're in as a church now as we move forward. And, and so much has been going on behind the scenes over the last six months in kind of preparation for us to talk about stewardship. And, and it's exciting to me because I believe that as, as we, we, we dive into what God has for us, as it relates to stewarding things that he has blessed us with, um, there is the cognitive side of understanding, yes, this is what stewardship is, but then there's the aspect of getting it in our guts and understanding it and living out of a place where we truly believe all that we have is his and we are just stewards of what he has. And so it's exciting kind of as we go into this and um, I'm, I, I want to apologize about having to talk today about money. Um, I want to apologize because some are visitors and some are guests, but if I, think, I think if I was to do that, I would be, I would be um, neglecting my call as a pastor. It is hard to talk about money as a pastor because it seems somewhat self-serving. Um, but the reality is this. Uh, I don't need anything. I'm completely content with everything. Um, our church doesn't need um, absolutely anything. It's not like we're trying to, to bend people's arms or twist people's arms. Yes, Yes, we, we have a building that we need to build on the property that God has provided through his faithful servants 15 plus years ago. Yes, we every week and every time we do an event like yesterday with the, the wedding or when we have Awana, we run into constraints with our facilities. And yes, we need a facility. But more than needing a facility, we need to be a people um, in our guts that grip the idea of stewardship and know that all that we have truly is, is his. And if anything comes out of that, if a building comes out of that, fine. But more importantly than a building, more importantly than, than something physical, is, is when our soul would come alive because we get it. We understand it. And, and I'm, I feel like I'm starting to get it. Um, myself, but man, I feel like I have such a long ways to go. So it's kind of a fun process as we do this. But as we talk about stewardship and getting a picture of what stewardship is, I think it's always good to go back to the beginning of our Christian heritage, our Christian story, which is found in Genesis chapter 1. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 26, but up until this point, what God has been doing is creating. He's been creating. He's been creating everything that we know, everything that we see, and there's this really sweet rhythm of creation that's been taking place. And what did he say about it? It was good. It was good that 
he had created these things and what he created was good. We go from there, we pick it up now in verse 26. There's a lot here. I've got it on the screen, but you can read it on your, on your laps there too. It says this, then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that makes a move or moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given had made, and behold it, it was very good. I had given every green plant for food, and it was good. And so God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. Now, I'm going to jump to chapter 2, looking at verses 7 through 9. It says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right, jump to verse 15. It says this, The Lord God took the man, and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So there's a little theological teaching as it relates to this, what we just read. It it goes by a couple different names, the cultural mandate or the creation mandate. But this is the reality. It's the reality of the world in which you and I live. The Bible tells us that God has made everything and everything that he's made and in it he has given for us to steward. Um, He's made us in his image, and he desires for us to steward his creation. All that we have is really all that he has given us, and truly it's all that that we are. So there's nothing that exists that really truly is not his. He's placed us as stewards over creation on earth so that everything that we have, everything we've been given by God is from him and for his glory. And it kind of, if I just wanted to distill it down into... um, something that's a little bit more memorable, it's the first thing you have in your notes, is that we own nothing. Uh, We truly own nothing. As followers of Jesus, we own nothing. Nothing that you have is truly yours. You are simply a steward of all of it. According to the scriptures, a steward is going to be one who is held accountable for what he and she has had been given to steward themselves. Um, And it's kind of a weird thing for, for us. Um, because some of us work incredibly hard. Actually, we're in North County. I think most of us um, work incredibly hard for the things in which we, we have. But when we think about it, who gave us the life that we have been given in order to, to work hard? Who gave us the strength in order to work hard? Who, who created the air in which fills our lungs and which allows us to work hard? Who gave us the brain in which we are able to think, um, which allows us to 
create and to work. Well, of course, we can go on and on with that. He gave it. He gave that to us. So with this in, in view, with this in view that God owns everything and everything we have is his, how are we to think about money? How are we to think about it? So we're going to look because we see it. Jesus tells us how to think about money in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Um, there, there's a couple things to consider here when it comes to money from Jesus' point of view, and that's a point of view really that we should look at and the only point of view that should we, we should go by. So chapter 6 of Matthew, here it is. It's up there already for you. It says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. So let's just take the, the few chunks here. Uh, the first chunk is, is one. It's a great life lesson. It says basically, don't make your treasure where or don't put your treasure where people can steal it. Um, instead, invest in places in which things could not be stolen from. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Don't invest in those places that aren't uh, eternal. You want to know where your heart is, Jesus is saying, really at this point? He says, you want to know where your heart is? It's easy. Look at your wallet. Look in your purse. That's where your heart is. And that's pretty hard for us, because if I pull my wallet out or my money clip out, um, I, I wonder, is that representative of where my heart is? I mean, I, I could say things, or maybe I'll say you could say things like this. Well, I, um, I really, really love the Lord. And um, maybe we could look at your garage and say, no, what you really love is motorcycles. Or you could say, what I really love to do is to chase elk in the woods and buy a new bow. Or um, I could say, no, that's, that's really what, what the focus of your, your God is. The, the, the point is here that motorcycles, bows, or whatever your thing is, yeah, they can be awesome. They're, they're okay things. But this is the issue with those things. Those things make terrible gods. They make terrible gods. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we keep reading here, it says this, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the, the light in, the, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So in the first section, we, we see what he's saying is don't invest in things that aren't eternal. Don't invest where things can be stolen. And then he ends with, he ends with this, you are unable to serve both God and money. It's an impossible thing. You're going to either hate one or you're going to hate the other. You'll be devoted to one or you'll be devoted to the other. But you will not serve and be able to serve both. So that was the top and the bottom. Those are the, the top piece of bread, the bottom piece of bread, the bookends. But the, the, the central component of this passage here seems a little bit odd. That whole idea about the eyes and the lightness and the eyes and the darkness. What is, what is Jesus saying here? What he's teaching us here is he's teaching us um, how we are to view our financial wealth. What he's saying is he's saying that how you see reality, how you see reality directly equates to the level of darkness you walk in or the level of, of light that you walk in. And, and a good example of this is some of you, not all of you would know the carpenters, 
Remember the carpenters, the, the folk singers, the carpenters? Um, there, there was um, um, a woman, her name was Karen Carpenter. She was a fantastic singer, a wonderful singer. Um, but Karen, she had a disease, a mental disease, um, an eating disorder called anorexia nervosa. Um, what that is, is that she would look at herself in the mirror and she would see, despite the fact that she was very skinny, very pretty, in, in reality's eyes, she would look at that and she would say, I'm fat. And ultimately, as she did this, um, that ended up causing her to starve herself to death. Um, she was incredibly wealthy. She could have bought anything that she could possibly want um, at any time. But yet she starved, she starved herself to death because the light in her eyes was dark. How she saw the world was inconsistent with, with reality, and it got her killed. So what Jesus is teaching here, when he talks about this, the eye and the light, what he's saying here is money matters. And if you see money in the wrong light, if you, you see money as a God, then it is going to destroy you. It is destructive. It will own you. It will drive you. It will lead you. It'll... It'll lead you to perverse things. So, so we must strive, according to what Christ is saying here, to see the reality of money and what it is. That it can be destructive if it is our God. So, um, so he says this. He's helped us with this. Treasures should be stored up in heaven. Um, that's the first one. The second one is money makes a, a terrible, money makes a terrible God. To pursue it, to long for it, to desire it, having to have it leads to all kinds of perversion. It leads to all kinds of death, destruction. Light eyes mean this, according to what Christ is saying. Light eyes mean that see, seeing Christ in the ways of God is a higher treasure, and it's the highest treasure to be pursued. Simply seeing the real treasure to be had is seeing the glory of Christ himself and walking in accordance to his word. All that we have is him and him alone, abiding with him. So how are we to think about our money? How are we to do that? There's a number of different ways we can do that. I'm just going to talk about two practical ways that Scripture talks about what are we to do to look at money, and, and we see it here. Uh, money must always be attained through honest pursuits, through honest gain. Money must always be obtained through this honest gain. Uh, a couple Proverbs to look at here. Proverbs 10.2 says, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Then moving on to chapter 15, verse 27 of Proverbs, it says, Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. Proverbs 22, 16 says, Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. So what Scripture is, is teaching us about is how to pursue wealth is that we are to work hard for it. We're to work hard for it. And, and this is a good thing. We, we want to, I want to be successful. I would want our, all of us to be successful. There's nothing wrong with being successful and seeking to do whatever it is in business or whatever career field you might be in. There's nothing wrong with aspiring to that. It's a good thing to have godly ambition. It's a good thing to pursue um, and, and to go after our work hard. I would say that this is an important aspect to how we are to proclaim Christ in the world that we live in, is to, to work hard. I've, I've shared stories before with coworkers that before I was in a church ministry, in my secular job where guys were Christians and they were the laziest guys in the shop and it drove me crazy because it made Christ look bad. 
but, but we, we should look for these things. But we should not and shall not be the type of people who sell out to get there, to sell out to get above and to be successful in a financial way. So we don't stab people in the back, we don't cook the books, we don't do shady deals, we don't look for ways to skip out on taxes. Um, we pursue success, but we pursue it as men and women of God who are seeking God's glory and seeking to take care of the things in which God has given us and will give us. Uh, another kind of critical point as we pursue success is that we pursue it in the, in the sense that we won't lose our family in the process of pursuing success along the way. Um, seen it too often where in order to pursue success, those that are trying to pursue it look for ways to buy off their family. I, have, I remember as a youth pastor having, having a, a gal that was in our youth group and her dad was a workaholic and he would buy her everything, the newest gadgets, the newest, you know, designer clothes, whatever the case might be. He would do all of these things um, and you could just see her, she didn't say words, but she just was saying with her body language, dad, I don't want all this stuff, I just want you. I want your presence, dad. And so um, this is an important part about pursuing, um, pursuing success is that we wouldn't do it at the loss of our families and the loss of our uprightness and our integrity. So, so, so we're to run from anything that lacks integrity, anything that lacks uprightness, and anything that would make us gain at the expense of others in our pursuit of success. Um, thirdly here, must first off, must always be attained. Money must be attained through honest gain, and then money must be cared for in a diligent way, diligently. Again, a Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 23, and 24 says, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations. One more, you have this in your notes, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found, what? Faithful. Stewards are going to be found faithful. On top of that, Scripture says, count your herds, know well your, your flock, know well your herds. And the reason why is because, why you're supposed to know your wealth, know what it is, is because your wealth isn't just your wealth. Your wealth is what you're called to steward. Your wealth is what you're called to take care of. And so we have to know the resources that we have because they're not our resources. They belong to him. And we have been entrusted with them, and we, got, we have to steward them well so that God would get the glory. Um, there's a number of ways to do this. I'm just going to mention one, and then I'm going to make a transition here. Um, it might seem obvious to say this, but I find in one-on-one -on -one conversations, especially, well, it does actually, especially with, with young couples as we do premarital counseling or other, other um, situations, how few people actually use a budget how few people actually use a budget in their finances. Um, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit shocking how, how rarely that is the case. Um, but I just want to say, it doesn't matter if you make a zillion dollars, a million dollars, $100,000, or $1,000 a year. If you're not using a budget, I guarantee that you're not stewarding well the resources that, you, that you've been given by God. You, if you don't put a name, as Dave Ramsey would say, a name to the money that you've been given, um, it's going to find a place to take itself. 
And so a budget is absolutely imperative to the process. And I think one of the testimonies that's going to be shared, so I don't want to give too many specifics, but there's, there's a long-standing member here who, when she was a teenage girl in this community, uh, she didn't know the Lord. One of the, the, the couples of the church, who's still here as well, somewhat adopted her. And when she talks about coming to know Christ, this older man in our congregation and his wife brought her into the home, and the first thing that he did was teach her how to budget. And, and she went through and she learned that, and that was like the first step for her. Um, they, they taught her this basic life skill, and it's amazing to see, and I think she'll probably share about, how God has blessed her as she's stewarded her finances from that point forward. Neat story, I don't want to steal too much of it, but, but a budget is really important. We have some, some other people in our congregation right now that are being mentored by other people in our congregation on how to, how to incorporate a budget into their every, everyday life. And if you're one of those people that would like to be uh, mentored in that way, just let me know and we'll hook you up with the right people because it's an absolute imperative part of your faith in how to steward the things in which God has given you. All right, so I feel like I blew through that really quick um, and that's okay. Uh, I wanted to be able to take some time um, just to do some um, answering of some questions that have come up as it relates to stewardship, but really a, a, about the Moving by Faith campaign, and there's not a lot of opportunities to do this, and so this ties in really well to this point, and, I, and these are all different questions that have come up, so I'm going to go through them, and I'm going to give answers for them um, as we go through. This is relating to the campaign. So um, the first one, frequently asked question, uh, what is the goal um, of the campaign and how long will it last? Um, right now, the, the, well, first off, the project, the turnkey amount for the new church facility is $2.5 million, give or take. Um, that's the turnkey. That's if we don't lift a finger. That comes down significantly, um, significantly when we talk about adding gifts and kinds like Andy talked about. Our goal for this campaign is a million dollars, is a million bucks. And it's pretty awesome, actually, to see some of the early signs. Um, that seems like a really daunting figure to me, just to be honest. Um, but um, just early on, I could say, wow, it's pretty neat to see how God's already starting to provide for that. But it's, it's a million dollars. And uh, how long will it last? It's a three-year campaign. It's not a one-time campaign. It's we'd like to raise a million dollars over the next three years towards this, towards this project. Next question, uh, why are we doing this? If you don't know... Um, you need to come uh, to VBS or you need to um, come f five minutes late to church and try to find a place to park. Or uh, you, you need to um, spend more time in the overflow room on a Sunday. Um, or come to any other events or memorial services or things like that. Or if you want to try to find extra classroom space for Awana. There, there's obvious reasons why we're doing this. The, the need is great. The need is great to, to, to do this, and, and uh, this, this facility is getting older, and it keeps costing us more money to maintain, and we're thinking we don't want to throw good money after bad. We, we, need, to, we need to do this in moving forward. So that's pretty straightforward. When will it begin? That's, a, that's another one. Um, I'll do this. When will the, well, I missed it. Why are we doing this? Okay, this one's not up there. When will the work begin? A great question. That has to do with how the funds come in. That's, that's when we'll know. If everything goes perfect, if everything goes the way we would like it to go with this campaign, um, things could begin um, as early as, as, early as um, late spring or summer, early summer next year. 
Um, if things get delayed, it could be longer than that, but it really just kind of depends on what happens over this next few months with the campaign. My slides are out of order. Um, is our congregation large enough to cover the cost of this project? Easily, honestly, very easily. Um, it, without even a, a doubt, that's the case. I went and visited a church that is a little bit smaller than ours, um, but in a very similar context in Prize, Oregon last year, and um, they just got done with a, a building project. And um, again, smaller, smaller congregation than us, um, same, it's a farming community, um, no big tech industry, no big business out there. Um, their, their building was almost $4 million, and they were able to, by the time they got done, they had less than uh, almost, uh, I think it was $300,000 left to pay off um, when they got done with their project. So yeah, easily, easily. Um, who will be asked to support the campaign? Yes, you. Um, if this is your church home, if you call this your place of worship, you, all of us. It will take all of us in order to do this. It will. Um, and that's exciting to think about. If you're a guest and you're visiting, no, heavens no, we would never ask you to give to this. Um, unless God was leading you to, which in that case, that's fine. But that's not our, our, our attempt or our aim is to, to go after funds outside. Um, all right, other questions. Uh, is, my pledge, oh, is my pledge or my commitment, is my commitment over the campaign above and beyond my Sunday offering? This is a good one that comes up a lot, and I've heard a number of times. Um, is this take the place of my offering, my regular giving? Um, that's an easy answer. No, it doesn't. This is, this is a commitment above and beyond your regular giving here at the church. Above and beyond that. Um, it's got to be generous, it has to be sacrificial, but it's above and beyond your regular giving. And, and I would just say this, um, giving is a, is a discipline and it's a spiritual discipline that any follower of Christ who takes their finances seriously, who takes their stewardship seriously, is a regular committed giver. And not everyone is a regular committed giver. And so what I would say to those of us who aren't is that we would far more be interested in you becoming a regular giver stewarding your, your finances um, than giving to a campaign. And the reason we say that is because our elders have talked about this, the leadership team has talked about this many times. The goal for us in all of this is not the final product of the building. The goal for us as a church is that we would have in our gut the concept that we own nothing, have in our gut the concept that, that God is the owner of everything and we steward that. And so through this campaign, it's exciting for me as a pastor to know that the bar is going to be raised in, in our own hearts and our own lives as it relates to our stewardship. Financially, yes. With our resources, yes. With our time, yes. And with our gifts, spiritual gifts, yes. It's exciting to me to think about that. Yes, the, the church building would be cool. Um, it, it, it would solve some problems for us. But man, I really get excited about the fact that we, we as a church would be walking in this place with open hands. Um, I think of the ways in which we could impact the kingdom of God um, if we're all generous. And, well, actually, we are a very generous congregation. I'm not trying to paint a dark picture. But the, the commitments given are above and beyond your regular giving. Did I answer that all right? Okay, so um, next. Um, what is, it should say commitment. I used the wrong language there. What is the commitment? So basically the commitment that we're, we're looking for is it's a payment, just like we do with a, a mortgage payment. It's a payment over a long period of time. In this case, it's a, pay, it's a, it's a, it's a commitment over three years 
to, to give to this project. And so whatever that number is, you think in the course of three years, we can generously and sacrificially give X amount of dollars to this project above, above and beyond our regular, above and beyond our regular giving is what that, what that really comes down to. Um, one-time gifts are okay, but that's really not what we're looking for. Um, um, and, and even before I started getting into this campaign and understanding um, how a campaign works, that's kind of what I had in my head. And so when Andy talked about these, these advanced commitment gatherings that we're going to be having over the next, few, um, the next few weeks, that's what this time is about. I've learned a ton. I, I learned a ton about different ways in which um, I can be creative in, in preparing my commitment over this time. All right, so, and then that leads to the next question. What happens, and this comes up, what happens if I'm unable to fulfill my commitment? You know, I make this commitment, some people say, I won't make a commitment because I'm not sure, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know if I'll be alive in three years. I got that one from somebody. Um, that's okay. Um, that, that happens. Um, and that will happen in this campaign. Some of us will hit hard times, and we will not be able to fulfill the commitment we made. That's totally okay. Those, we're not God, we're not sovereign, we don't know. And the reason it's okay is because um, just like it would cause someone to have a hard time, others are going to be able to increase. Their situation is going to, to you know, there's a, a promotion or an inheritance or, or some other thing. And so those things, God will work those things out. I would expect it to increase even beyond, um, even beyond what is able to be um, given at that point. So that's okay. Still, still make the commitment. Don't shy away from it. All right, a few, uh, uh, last one here. I don't have a, a slide for it. It's how can I learn more about it? How can I learn more about this process? Um, obviously, this is one way you're here and I'm talking about it. Uh, another way is that information packet. Actually read it, go through it. Um, but a big way is going to be those, those dinners that, that our leadership team have put a lot of time into kind of preparing. Take an opportunity to go. You're not, there's no strong arming. It's just an opportunity to learn more about the process. And it's actually really exciting. Honestly, my wife and I, I'll just, I'll just say this, um, we, we've been disciplined from the very beginning at, um, at, at our, our giving, our regular giving. It's just a part of our, it's a part of our walk. It's part of our uh, spiritual disciplines. Um, and yet in this process, I've been incredibly, um, it's weird. If you can be really convicted and r- really excited at the same time, when I think about how, how it is that um, there's so much room for me to, to, to step out and steward my resources better so that I can I can live out the, the gutness of understanding that really everything is, really everything is, is God's. And, um, and I'm just a steward of it. So um, that's, a, that's a way you can learn and, and ask more. Um, we're going to be talking about this. This is our inspiration month just for the next, um, through October 20th. That is our commitment Sunday. That's where this, this, this period ends, is through October 20th. So I would just challenge you, just gain as much information as you possibly can. And then the most important thing in all of this is right here. Um, this is the challenge. This is the challenge to you as a regular attender of our church. And I know there's a lot of variables that might go into this. Um, um, so take this in context for you. But what does it look like to prayerfully seek God's heart? To prayerfully seek God's heart for yourself, to seek his heart and ask him what he's calling you to do. Obviously, if you're married, this is a, a decision that is made t- together. If there's not unity, then 
that, that's, a, that's a red flag. There's got to be unity in this. Um, if there is guilt or if there is a resistance in your heart, then you don't go that direction. Very clear. Scripture says we don't give begrudgingly. If you can't give cheerfully, uh, then you shouldn't be filling out a commitment. Uh, but you should seriously ask God, what is he calling you to? That's really all that we can ask in this process is that, that we would all, and that's just it. If, you, if you're one of these people that has already decided this is what I'm going to give, I would say, please take the next three weeks and, and still put that before the Lord and ask if that's what he's calling you to do. Um, because I know that my first time when I first said it, this is what I'm going to give, um, my heart is already kind of changing and the more and more I the more and more I think about this. So anyway, um, there you go. That's, that's a little bit of where we're, where we're going. And um, I'm excited. I'm excited about what God's doing. Um, I want to just close with something that I heard that took place last night with our kids, our kids who put these posters together last night. Um, one of the questions that Pastor Joe asked the kids was, um, as he was talking about um, worldly treasures versus eternal treasures, he asked them this awesome question. He said, is the new church building, is it a worldly treasure or is it a heavenly treasure? Great question. Great question. And you know how the kids answered that? It depends on how we're going to use it. It depends on what it's for. Such a true statement from the lips of babes, right? Absolutely right. If we're looking to build a building, um, that's not okay. If we're looking to expand God's kingdom and when we think about a new building, what we think about is filling it with souls in our community that are walking around without Christ and using that facility to disciple them, um, to disciple young and old, that's, that's using it for eternal purposes. So thank you, kids. You're not in here, so I can't, not no point in saying thank you to, to them. But thank you, Pastor Joe, for asking that question of them. And uh, it's, a great, it's a great lesson for us. So... Um, I love you. I know this is not an easy talk. If you're a visitor, thank you. But um, this is in God's word. It's very important. And so I'm not apologizing, even though it sounds like it.